following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Hey, nerds, discover your geeky haven with Twink.com. We've been delivering you the best products and all things pop culture for more than 20 years. Enjoy a wide selection of officially licensed merch from your favorite fandoms. We carry top brands from Disney, Funko, Marvel, and DC, Star Wars, Harry Potter, and much, much more. We also offer an array of exclusives that you won't find anywhere else. With all these collectible goods, you're definitely going to need a bigger boat. Get ready for your spring sci-fi celebrations, including First Contact Day and May the 4th with Toink exclusives that are out of this world. Use code WINGEEKS15 to save 15% off of your order. to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, and myself, Mike. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. All right. I've been moving my shift around a lot, covering for people, so I'm kind of tired. Filling up your book full of um, favors that people owe you? Mm-hmm. Wow. I know, I know how it is about shifts changing. <laughs> um, but uh, in the process, slowly getting the pages updated but check out the right hand side of the page is our affiliates uh check them out uh supporting them supports us um may the fourth contest has some great winners uh apparently the gentleman who won the wookie radio may 4th prize pack it arrived right after his 30th birthday nice Mm. Congratulations. So a great and happy birthday. Great birthday present to you. So um we definitely are gonna be talking Attack of the Clones tonight, giving our top four finally came up with a name for it for the takeaways. It's gonna be our hollow takes, like H O L O takes. So our hollow takes. Mm. Uh so we got that coming. Um we also got the listener question about uh Wookiees, what we like about Wookiees. Uh it's kind of kind of broad, like the lightsaber. So we're gonna do a little bit of everything. Wookies, what we like, uh, favorite Wookies, you know, favorite things, etc. Um, but before we get then get there, let's touch on. I mean, so we had the upfronts this week from various agencies. So let's talk a little bit about that before we get dive into Attack of the Clones. So, uh, Ken, you've been reading the Vanity Fair art. Yes, let me bring it back up here. There's a lot of stuff in there, but the basically it's a four takeaway. The four major takeaways I've got at the beginning. I mean, we're gonna have to cover this on another in depth more on probably another article or another um, episode because we got so much in here. But the four big the big takeaways on here with the uh, main one was uh, we actually have a timeline for the next couple of series that we've been waiting to see what's going on. I don't know, Mike. I talked to you before the show about it. Jared, did you see at least see those? No, I did not. Well, we did. Um, Vanity Fair has an article. It's basically about what Disney Plus and what Star Wars is doing uh, moving into TV and changing the way TV is being made. Obviously, a lot of stuff about the volume and how they're putting these shows together and things. Um, but right off the top of the article, they come out, they come out swinging with, we know Obi-Wan's coming out at the end of this month, or actually next week. End of next week, we're getting Obi-Wan. Friday. Yes. But we then we find out um, by at the end or 
by towards the second half of the summer, late summer of this year, we're getting Andor, which we assumed that's about where it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Most of this really isn't a surprise. It's just confirmations. Uh, Mandalorian is they're calling it for late 2022 or early 2023, which we assumed right around Christmas, New Year's time. Ahsoka is somewhere in 2023. And then Acolyte is beyond that. So uh, but there's a couple of things I did anything, catch. Anything on the Bad Batch? Not yet. I was talking to Mike about that. And that's going to that'll probably get slipped in. I'm hoping sometime this summer. And if nothing else, by um, or by the end of next week, we'll know because they're going to mm-hmm. probably announce all that at Celebration along with remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, Kevin Kiner had done an interview and he was and he um, said in the interview he's working on a Star Wars animated show. But he didn't say but he would have said Bad Batch if that's what it was, because that's not a surprise to anybody. But he's working on a new Star right. Wars animated show that has actual full orchestration for every episode. So mm-hmm. that's something on the production level of like a Clone Wars or something even bigger. And right. and as I was saying before show, uh, Heather Antos, uh, who is, make sure I get everything right, uh, she was a guest on Mighty Marvel Geeks, have formerly been an assistant editor for the Star Wars franchise at, uh, at Marvel. Uh, she is a senior editor at IDW on Star Trek. Previously at Image, Valiant, uh, Marvel, uh, did work with Disney, and um, she is the creator of, on Twitter, hashtag Signal Boost Sunday, where she helps various creators get, get the word out. And she okay. mentioned, because um, I have had her hit Wookiee, you know, kind of give a plug or a boost to Wookiee Radio and Money Marvel Geeks in the past. Um, she has said this morning, or roughly 13 hours ago as we're recording, later today, I'm recording a podcast with members of my three favorite bands from my teen years about a comic series I worked on that is serving as the background for the next Star Wars TV show. Hmm. Well, considering, have you seen on StarWars.com, they put up a... Um a series of the, the some of the exclusive merch that's going to be at the Celebration store. Have you seen that article yet? No. No. Well, I'm sending a t- uh, um, t-shirt to you that's one of the Celebration exclusive mm-hmm. t-shirts. I just dropped it in the chat. You're talking the Afro t-shirt? Yeah. Yes. The black Afro t-shirt? So it's like, if they're, if they're leaning towards that possibly being the next animated series, that'd be kind of cool. Very well Considering it's a, star, a comic book character to start with, move it into animation, and then move her into live action later. And that is the series that... Um, Heather Antos was and worked the most was the most involved with during yeah. her time at Star at doing Star Wars at Marvel. So that that might be the one Kiner's working on. You don't know. But um, all, this article is all about um, live action. Uh, there's a couple things that get dropped in here that we um, didn't know before. Uh, Ewan McGregor, during his interview as part of this, uh, his quote here is, uh, my partner Mary is doing that Star Wars series with Rosario Dawson, and uh, she's about to start. Now, no one had known mm-hmm. Mary Elizabeth Winstead has been uh, together with Ewan McGregor for years. They have a son that was born last year, but um, it had never been announced anywhere that she was actually working on um, Ahsoka. Right. So I guess she's going to be part of Ahsoka. He's in uh, Obi-Wan, obviously. Right. So that's kind of an interesting one to slipped in there. Um, Diego Luna, we get more actual information about the Andor series. Um, and it's this is from Diego Luna. He says, it's the journey of a migrant. That feeling of having to move is behind this story very profoundly and very strong. That shapes you as a person. It defines you in many ways and what you're willing to do. Now, um, he a lot of this is talking about an, an actual conversation he had with Tony Gilroy, who's the uh, producer on and the writer for Andor. And um, let's see if I can get where the rest of this is. Yeah. Uh, Gilroy says this guy gave his life for the galaxy, right? I mean, he's, he's consciously, soberly, without vanity or recognition, sacrificed himself. Who does that? That's what this first season is about. It's about him being really revolution averse and cynical and lost and kind of a mess. Uh, then it, then the article continues on the story begins with the destruction of Andor's birth world, then follows him into adult adulthood when he realizes he can't run forever. We go back into Gilroy's quote again. It says his adopted home will become the base of our whole first season. And we watch the place become radicalized. Then we see another planet that's completely taken apart from a colonial kind of way. The empire is expanded rapidly, expanding rapidly. They're wiping out 
without anyone in their way. So the journey's end in Andor's path uh, will there be yeah the journey's end. Andor's path will be to block theirs. So um, it also says the show focuses on the enigmatic rebel leader Mon Mothma, played by Genevieve O'Reilly, who portrayed her young. Well, we know she was in a. We know where she came from. She was in Revenge of the Sith. She was in Rogue One. Um, and it goes on to say how uh, basically the the show is about her and um, Andor and their paths kind of paralleling until and showing to where he eventually becomes like her one of her basic go to agents. Right. Let me make sure there's nothing else that I really missed on that section. Uh, going back to Heather Antos real quick. Um, as an assistant editor, she worked on Star Wars, Star Wars, Darth Vader, Princess Leia, Kanan, Lando, Shattered Empire, Chewbacca, Vader Down Number One, uh, Obi Wan and Anakin. So maybe she's tied in the, maybe she's referring to the Kenobi series possibly that uh, is well that is the next um Star Wars television show right but the Obi-Wan and Anakin I don't think goes that far back or goes that far into the future if I remember the, series, the comic series right uh Poe Dameron the yeah but it's still about both of them so yeah Star Wars special, kind of. the, the Star Wars special C-3PO1, Han Solo, Aphra, Maul, Screaming Citadel, Droids Unplugged, the Volume 2 of Vader, uh, Rogue One, Cassian and K2SO special, uh, Jedi of the Republic, Mace Windu, Captain Phasma, uh, Storms of Crate, and DJ Most Wanted. As editor, Force Awakens adaptation, Rogue One adaptation, Poe Dameron Annual 1, Aphra 1, Annual 1, Star Wars Annual Number 3, Star Wars Thrawn, Last Jedi adaptation, in the high cultures. Okay. I'm sorry, did you mention, did, did I hear you mention the wonderful C-3PO series um, issue? Uh, the most expensive free comic day book? Yes. <laughs> I, okay. Well, I know, I, I know, I know I make fun of the, the book and I've made fun of it on Mighty Marvel Geeks as well. I love the story. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a great story, but it is because, yeah. but it's also because it was four months late. It was supposed to come out in time for Force Awakens, and it was supposed to be right. a prelude to why we're seeing C-3PO with a red arm in the film and in the, in the previews. That 3PO went and pointed out, oh, I have a red arm. Did you notice I have a red arm now, which lasted for that film? Now I noticed, yeah. <laughs> um, of course, if the book had come out on time, it would have made sense, and I would have been okay with, sure. with the price. At this point in time, it came out in April after the movie. Uh, that was, what, April 16th? Something like that, yeah. I don't remember. They, they might as well have just held it a few more weeks and slapped a free comic day banner on it and made it a free comic day book because that was the relevancy of the story coming out that that late after Force Awakens. It, it was no, wrong, no longer relevant. Still a great story. I love the story that it is. It's a great book, but I, I think they should have thrown it in as a bonus surprise free comic day book that year. Mm. That's why I say I it's agree, the most expensive yeah. free comic, comic book day book I've ever picked up. And actually, I just reread that book like a month ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Again, I'm not knocking the story. It was a great yeah, I mean, story. It was a fun story and all. Yeah. But yeah, it was like, yeah. Just, just when it was released, the relevance was, it, it just didn't carry the same emotion. Mm. So. It really did. The whole idea of him having a red arm really didn't need any explanation or anything. They didn't even need the line in the film. You yeah. that wasn't because <laughs> if it, it was one of those that if George Lucas had been writing it, he would have possibly had the red arm and just left it open and let people figure out or make up the stories on their own. Right. But, but the story is, it is a great, it, it is a great feel good story on why he has the red arm. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of it was the sacrifice from another, another droid that's in the book. But it could also have been like a story in an anthology book or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or like when they did that, um, I forgot what they called it. Remember like a year or two ago or whatever, when they were, they were doing like one shots from every trilogy. Yes. The age of Republic, age of resistance, age of yeah. uh, yes. Yes. rebellion. Yes. It could have fit in there. You know, that would have made sense. Very, very well could have probably should have, mm. but that will put the, I will put that story out even so much later. And I, I don't know True, if you want to hold it that long. It at least then it would have fit in with a with with a something, you know, with right. those those books. It would have fit in. Here's another story from the Age of Rebellion. 
Uh, uh, sorry, the age of uh, resistance. Uh, resistance. But that's why I said free comic book day. That, that would fit with free comic book day as well. Right. It, it's a it's a yeah. side story that if it had the the free comic book day banner on it, would have been perfectly fine to go. Okay, now you're bringing some relevance on. Oh, okay. This is why C3PO has a red arm. Right. And, and it's one of those throwaway stories that that's common or can be common during free comic book day. Right. Our course you're did like, it. Oh, all that the, was our course did a story. Time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Our course did it all the time with Star Wars. Sure. Here's a Star Wars title. That here's a story that we did. Just didn't have enough to carry an actual issue or, or an arc. So it was our free comic book day one shot. Perfect. But to to have announced that it was coming before Force Awakens and then advertised it was coming out every month after. So I remember when it was tentatively yeah. scheduled. I was picking it every single time. Mm-hmm. And then I think when I picked it for the f- last time, when we used to do our picks on air, it's like, and for the fourth month in a row, I'm picking Star Wars mm-hmm. C3PO episode one or issue one, if it comes out this month. And the next week's like, oh, wow, shocked. I actually picked it up today. And refresh my memory. Was it a $4 book or was it more? It was a $4 book. Okay. I remember right. That would have been even worse. It was three ninety nine. I don't think it was five. I don't think it was a four ninety nine book. Yeah. But um, from everything I had heard, the reason why it was delayed was because of the artist. The artist was slow getting the book out. Actually, I don't even remember who the artist was. <laughs> Actually, it was four ninety nine. Uh huh. It was four. Yeah, so that that made it even worse. Yeah, I just looked. It is four ninety nine. It was four ninety nine. Just so I don't have. I didn't look at my copy. I looked at pictures that uh, Wikipedia has at the mm. cover gallery. Uh, creative team. Um, writer was James Robinson. Penciler and inker was Tony Harris, mm. who also did color and cover artist. So yeah, Tony Harris was the artist. Uh. Jordan D. White, editor, Heather Antos, assistant editor. 40 pages instead of your standard 22. Yep. Right. And, and Tony Harris is a great guy. I love his work. I just. Sure. Yeah. I don't understand what took this so long. Mm. So, but anyway, back to the Vanity Fair article. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe the, maybe Heather was talking about, um, Kenobi, maybe, maybe a little bit about Kanan. Because of the Inquisitors, May, maybe she is talking about Afra, especially with the new with the with the shirt that uh, is going to be at Celebration. Yeah, which as soon as they make that Celebration store open to the public after the show, if there's any of those shirts left, I want one. There was a couple of other ones that looked really cool in there too. But Afra is that. You guys know I've, I'm a huge homeboy fanboy for for Afra. Really, I don't think I ever heard you mention her before. First time I've heard it. <laughs> Losers. Anyway. You chose us. <laughs> yeah, really. The claw has chosen us. What's it say about you? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> anyway. Um Can you search for a better quality of friend. <laughs> hey. Oh, I, I have to say, uh Derek and I got to interview uh Scott Chernoff last week. What? he's the one who he's the one who gave us the topic on uh, lightsabers. Hey Scott, okay. uh, learned at one point he was a writer and also managing editor for Star Wars Insider. Nice. Mm. And, so did you uh, like the discussion we came up with? He loved it. Absolutely loved it. And uh, Scott said he is would love to come on to Wookiee Radio at some point. So we're looking at uh, maybe July, yeah, July, fun. August for that. Cool. Yeah, he was a lot of fun to talk to. Great guy. Really, it was fun being put put in our place too. Or I got put in my place quite quite a few times by him. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, he did. That was great. <laughs> so, uh, as we derailed again, Vanity Fair. Well, that's uh, that's the main uh, um, the start of this article. Then um, it gets into a lot of uh, how they put the beginning of the TV team together and stuff. So we can get into that uh, on next week's show if you want. Yeah, because that. that I've, I've read through that stuff, but um, I saw farther down they actually have some more information about Acolyte and the, some of that stuff. But I've not read through any of that stuff yet. So the only thing we can I, pick this up again, we could actually the, this is the, the one of the, this is the headline cover story. So this is the basically the cover story for the month. Yeah, since Vanity Fair is still a monthly magazine, right? I think so. As far as I'm aware, so, uh, <laughs> if not, I can still find up find the article again. So we could we'll, we'll go through here and pick it apart because there's a lot of good stuff in here. They have things on um, how Kathleen Kennedy or how um, Favreau got pulled into it. How she put together him and um, Baloney, and I—I I don't know if we ever—if we actually knew when uh, when um, Favreau came in and wanted to do Mandalorian, 
uh, ah, Filoni was actually already working on a separate Mandalorian project. Oh, wow. Really? So the problem was she was worried that they would butt heads because they had two different visions for what this would be. Right. They found out, oh, wait, no, it didn't. They also have um, some good stuff on uh, the creation of Grogu, how scary it was, whether or not they actually would pull this off. That was, Grogu, I guess, was all Favreau, and Filoni was scared to death. He didn't, really didn't want to do it. <laughs> he wasn't sure how people would react. Is that um, is that the same article where Kathleen Kennedy talks about the Solo movie? I don't know. This one's all about TV. I did see she has a question, a Q&A that they have on Fanity Fair this week also. I, I, but that might have mm, been in there. I, I saw that article on uh, comicbook.com saying that, the, I guess, the mistakes they made with Solo, they won't repeat again. Um, no, the problem, well, the problem is they can say that, but the other problem is she thinks she was saying that the mistake is that they recast some, they recast somebody to play a young Han Solo. No. And they're not, they're not going to do that again. Oh, really? And that is not, yeah. And, and that is not the problem. No, I still, I still stand Uh, by my, uh, um, idea that the whole problem with Solo that they had, period, was timing. Mm-hmm. It was too close after the um, Last Jedi. The Last Jedi ruffled so many feathers that you could have put out the Mandalorian in that right. spot, and people would have crapped it. I agree, and it would have made done nothing. You could have put mm-hmm. out the greatest Star Wars film ever made in that spot. You're six months after what most people were panning as the worst. Um, thing Star Wars has put out ever. Okay, um, imagine if Rogue One and Solo had traded places. You're saying Rogue then One would happen to Rogue One. Rogue One will have gotten the same treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I didn't think they recast. Did they really recast um, Solo? I thought it was always. No, no, no. They're talking about casting no, him no. as a younger actor. And yeah, period. they're talking about replacing Harrison Ford. They think so. She she's thinking that they shouldn't replace the original actors to play these characters. <laughs> So you okay? So now comes the debate. Really, we're gonna you're, you're trying to rely on doing a deep fake like they did with Leia, like they did with Tarkin, which worked for for those characters in right. Rogue One because of the nature of those characters aren't around anymore. Right? They've done the deep fake with Hamill for Mandalorian, and the technology is better now to make it work there. Mm-hmm. Well, also, they were able to use him for photo reference also. The actual current uh, look of Mark Hamill, because if you remember, if you watch the gallery series there, he was on set all the time they were doing all the Luke Skywalker stuff. And he would do it, and then the then the um, body actor who's body doubling would do exactly what he did. So he basically he was doubling exactly Mark Hamill. He knew how Mark Hamill would act it, so that he could act it physically. So the question comes down to: Would it have been better to have Harrison Ford doing the role at his age, and then go no. back and deep fake the hands and the face for the whole thing? Nope, nope. I see they could not have done it on the level of um, what we've seen with. Because Tarkin, yes, was before that. It was like, what, two years before that they had done Rogue One. But Tarkin was in a limited amount of scenes. Right. Right. And they didn't do an exact double on Tarkin. It was close. It was very close. But you can see Tarkin still had a CG look about him. Plus, um, the actor who played Han Solo, uh, what was his name? Aaron. Aaron Albenreich. Yeah. I can never remember his name. I thought he did a good job. I thought he was yeah. good overall. I thought so too. I don't think that I do not think that is what the problem was. And I, and if they think that's what the problem was, I think they're barking up the wrong tree. Well, there were yeah. a lot of, there there's supposedly another guy who looked more like Harrison and and was more of a Harrison impersonator that people were wanting to have the role. Cool, but I I think um Aaron I actually did it best. I agree. Because he got yeah, he he nailed all the different mannerisms that are very obvious about Harrison and of Solo, but he also got some of the small quirks too, the, the little mm. nuances right. about Harrison that no one else was was getting. Yeah. I I had no problem believing him as on Solo. Only- yeah, if I remember right, over the all three of us together when we did the um, review of Solo, originally we were all very positive on it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a very good uh, telling of the story. I I, I love yeah. the story. I mean, if, if you're going to criticize that, then criticize Donald Glover as Lando. I even liked his Lando. Because, yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about yeah. change, Glover's Lando is 
way different than what uh, Hilly D's Lando is. Right. But he's playing, you know, but they're playing the younger versions of the characters. So, yeah, you can and accept at, that. At this point, remember, when we see Lando in Empire Strikes Back, he's still Lando Calrissian. He's still the smooth guy. He's still um, the fast talker. But he's also the administrator of this facility. And he's right. not that's not a con. <laughs> he's not a, a con man in that position. No, he they, he's actually running this place. There's a lot more growth to him. Yeah. Right. So when um, when we see Donald Glover do it, he's still a con man, a card shark, and a gambler. Right. Mm -hmm. Which we know he was a con man, card shark, gambler, because Han tells us so. Yeah. And And that's who who Han remembered. This is the best guy I'll go to, but I still don't trust him completely. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I get that. I have no problems with that. Um, But, I mean, if you really want to criticize the way Han's portrayed, then cool. Let's look at, then, like I said, we go back and look at... um, Lando, Lando's got a personality, even as a, a swaggering gambler and con man, he, he's gone a completely different route that you never expected to see based on how we knew him in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Well, like I said, when we see him in Empire and Jedi, he's a lot. He has a bunch of responsibility that he has to um, keep. Right. You know, he has to be the responsible guy. He can't just be living and flying by the seat of his pants. Right. But the way he pursued. He grew up, basically. The, the way he had the like the relationship with L3. It's not something yeah. you expect. You Nothing know, that, wrong with it. That could be also why we see Lando the way he is in Empire and Jedi. Maybe. But with Han, I mean, the, the complaints people had about Han, you could, you could throw those same complaints about Lando. Oh, yeah. And and they didn't. It was just Han because Han's main story, main character. But then also the thing is, they're taking the wrong lesson from that. If they think yeah, the problem, is. if that's what the problem was. Right. But going back to what we had talked about, um, no, we, we've talked about it. I mean, go ahead and pull up the story off public.com. Uh, oh, okay. Basically, Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, yeah, everyone would say uh, everyone was left underwhelmed with Alden Alden's take on the smuggler, but loved Donald's performance as Lando, which it could have been a lot worse if there wasn't the, the director change. Because the original directors wanted to make right, Han right. Solo more of a Ace Ventura type character. <laughs> it's like, he, he's not Ace. Oh, man. He's, he's not ace. See, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering how much of that was um, – I don't know how they – when they give the directors the thing, tell them to write something, I don't know how much of an influence they're telling them. Because they may have – because remember, they, um, for Rogue One, there was a whole bunch of rewrites after the first script came in because mm. it wasn't what they actually wanted. And the story behind it that most people get was – they told them that we want a Star Wars war film. And they had to bring in, what was it, Tony Gilroy. They actually brought in to um, rewrite a bunch of the script because the original writers um, actually, or who was the original writer? It was um, for, for what, Solo? Was to, no, for Rogue One. Because it was the same writer that was supposed to do um, episode nine, or uh, yeah, nine, I believe. Um, Trevorrow? Colin Trevorrow. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, rat, yeah. Rumor was he gave them a gritty Saving Private Ryan war film in the Star Wars universe. And they realized, well, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. This isn't Star Wars. It doesn't feel like Star Wars. Well, you didn't tell them to make a Star Wars film. <laughs> the rumor is they told him, make a war movie in Star Wars. So they had to bring in Tony Gilroy or whoever it is that they rewrote this to punch up the script and actually turn it into Star Wars again. Right. So what's the chances that they gave it to the original writers for Solo and they're they're like, hey, we want something. Han Solo is hilarious. Let's add, add some comedy, a bunch of comedy stuff in there. And they said, okay, well, we do this. They they wrote like Lego yeah. movies and stuff. Yeah. And they gave mm-hmm. them what they do. Yeah. And they said, right. oh, wait, wait. Halfway through filming, they're like, wait a minute. This isn't working. Huh. <laughs> You think? You gave comedy writers a movie and told them to make it funny, and then you don't like the way they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of mistakes made when they first uh, – when Lucasfilm first started. Oh, yeah, it was definitely okay. some um, growing pains. Fair, huh? Definitely yeah. growing pains. Well, the Vanity Fair article um, gets into some of that how um, – and a little bit about the um, redirecting, put the movies on hiatus and focusing on TV and stuff like that. They go into some of that too. So when we get back into that, we'll see even more of um, some right. of those decisions. And part mm-hmm. of the, them feeling they had to write the ship was bringing in guys like Filoni or like um, Favreau. Yeah, so – well – 20 years ago this month, episode, Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Bones came out. I did a rewatch of that this week and all the special features on it. It's still, it for me, it's still on the bottom probably three or four films. The, the love story side, now the action side of it, the clone side of it, um, and Obi-Wan is investigating that, that's fine. 
but the romance side, it, it, my, Vicky, my wife, was sitting there and it's like, she watched it. It's like, dude, you add a couple sex scenes and it's a Harlequin novel. It's that <laughs> cheesy. It's that terrible. Some of the dialogue is, is yeah. She says it's just like pulling off the $5 Harlequin novel off of the grocery store shelf. And, and I still defend that it's my favorite of the prequel trilogy. That stuff's hard to watch. I, I am somewhere in the middle of you guys. Is my my least favorite is still Phantom Menace, but Attack of the Clones is not very high on my list either. So would Phantom Menace score much higher if they took Jar Jar out of it? No, no, maybe maybe a little. But the other thing is, I just well, there's more to it than just Jar Jar. Um, I I would have been happy even if they just like toned Jar Jar back a little, because I get that he was supposed to be comic relief and all that, which is fine. But he was a little, he was just a little too over the top. You know what I mean? Right. So if they had toned him back a little, I'd be fine with him. But but there's there's a lot of other problems I have with the movie as well, including um, well, for one thing, I had no desire to see Darth Vader as a little kid. Um, yeah, they could have just skipped the whole that whole, you know, they could have just jumped to when he was older in the other movies and uh, it would have been fine. And then there's to me, it seems like the Phantom Menace has the word like the most wooden acting and dialogue and stuff that may not totally be the case for everyone, but it feels that way to me. Right. So that's part of why I don't like it as well. Um, to me, I enjoyed I the film. I don't like it, like at the least. I, I enjoyed it, but it's not my favorite Phantom Menace. But mm. I never expected it to be either because how many people would ever say when you watch the old movie serials, oh, that first chapter is my favorite. No, no one. Mm. The first chapter, the way it was done, it wasn't meant, I don't think it was ever meant to be someone's favorite. It was meant to, okay, here's how we're going to establish this, the saga. Okay, set the story. Set the story. First round of characters. Here we go. That was fine. I mean, there were moments I, I that were cool. I don't think the story needed to be set that early back. I can agree. I, I think part, yeah. I think part of it could have been, um, they could have touched on, um, Gret. They could have touched, they could have shortened the whole Trade Federation Naboo conflict fairly mm. quick. The right. the discovering of Anakin really quick, and then jumped ahead yeah. to between Phantom Menace and um, Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones still have right, right. still have Qui Gon get killed by Maul, but have Anakin be a, sl- a little bit older when that happened. Yeah, and then I it mean, would have made sense to have Obi Wan as become the new master. Well, the essentially, not- the Phantom the the Phantom Menace could have been just like the opening scrawl of, of uh, the opening crawl of Attack of the Clones. Uh, Possibly, you know, Qui Gon found a kid. He died. Yeah, they they could have, well, they could have done two time periods in Phantom yeah. Menace, and I think it might have been okay. Yeah, I don't know because yeah, at that point so. he was still trying to um, tell the stories in a similar fashion to what he did the original ones. I think he still could have. Yeah, but jumping yeah, time frames so. was not a Star Wars thing. No, but, but yeah, but it, if he was following suit of the movie serials, the old sci fi movie serials, yeah, that would have been the, the ideal time to have done a time jump to the serials f- did time jumps though yeah they did they were all linear no there was there were some back Unless, in the day that were that had some time jumps not very much because remember he was basically on like a buck rogers or a um flash gordon the those type which were straight linear story hey buck rogers was all about time jumps <laughs> well our buck rogers yes yeah remember he wrote <laughs> star wars before our buck rogers existed <laughs> yes <laughs> Anyway. The other thing, though, for me is is the the whole Darth Maul thing, because I mean, sure they brought him back in Clone Wars and everything, gave him a good arc, but the marketing before Phantom Menace came out, they made Darth Maul look so cool, like he was gonna, you know, right. he was gonna be he's the big villain of the movie, and then they just killed him off so quickly, and it was just I don't know. All right. Well, yeah, but you gotta think it took two Jedi to get out. All right. Before we go any further, yeah, but Derek, I want to make that your number four. Take a uh, hollow take. What? what mall? Your your whole this whole discussion about mall. If that's okay, or is that one of your? Um, not episode two. That's all about episode one. Sorry, never mind. I'm okay with it, but yeah, it, it is. Sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. It is about Phantom Menace. We've not got to the episodes no, yet. We haven't gotten to the hollow takes yet. Never mind. We're I still... think we're gonna t- we're gonna end up throwing that format out. We're just gonna have a discussion. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> 
Well, but, let's uh, get to episode two then, well, no, I guess. Let's stick around here for a second because, um, see, I look at it, the whole uh, Anakin, we didn't need to see him that young, but knowing where he wanted to go with the story, what and this, the, the motivations that George had in his head for why Anakin turned to the dark side, you had to actually see where he came from. You had to see that he was a slave and it was just him and his mom and all these things. And he ends up leaving his mother. That way, when you get to Attack of the Clones and you see his mother um, is dead at the hands of the Tuscans, then you see that anger really bubble over. If you didn't know anything about his backstory, it's a lot harder to tell that much, to put that much emotion in that character. Okay, but Penn, Penn, they... I don't think you needed a whole movie for that, though. They, they well, could, no, that's they moved on after that, but... Could, could they have taken that from Attack of the Clones? Say they, they started... Okay, they, they do the brief up. Here's the attack on on Amidala, on Coruscant. All right, we're taking you back to Naboo. Oh, wait, look, since Tatooine is out of the way let's go stop at tattooing real quick since since i've got you know since we're not having to do anything i just gotta stay with you let's go visit tattooing let me introduce you to your mom we're falling in love let me go introduce you to your mom find out the whole thing there after after he kills the tuscans or before he when he goes to rescue kills the tuscans rescues the shimi and brings the dead body back would you do the a flashback then of how he was from phantom menace I could see that. Possibly. I think it would have been harder to do, though. Because really, the um, even though it's the going to Tatooine in the first movie was basically all about picking up Anakin. But they do tell more actual story, and you get to learn more about the way that you, this world works at this time frame. Because in the beginning, you see, we start on Coruscant, or on Naboo. It's beautiful, and all this stuff's going on. And then you move into the... Because um, remember, George always wrote, like, um, it was usually three planets, wasn't it? Per movie? So he moves to Tatooine, so you see a total stark difference from what you saw in Naboo. And then the the whole purpose there is to be able to get to Coruscant. So then they just happen to pick up Anakin while they're there. And like I said, um, knowing his backstory, that leads to the way he reacts when his mom dies. And and the fact that we established early on that the Jedi – don't have attachments. They're taken from their parents. And every, at this point, before that movie, if I remember right, people knew that the original Jedi would take a, children from their parents before they formed any attachment right. when they were babies still. Yeah, that was established in the movie here. So it's like we had to, if we don't see the Anakin was too old when he was taken when he was um, taken by the Jedi, we would have no I, no reason to think why would he still know his mother? Right. We had to figure. We had to see that. We had to see his reaction to that and the fact that they actually had a relationship. So that in the second one, he starts having dreams of his mother because he knows who she is. Right. And when she's in pain, he's still got that connection. And then once she dies, it opens the dark side a little bit farther. And then we get to um, the love story starts forming that same attachment or not the same attachment, but it's still a love family attachment with Padme so now he's going to do everything he can to um, save Padme so he doesn't have to go through what he went through with his mother right yeah but I don't I don't think we needed a whole movie for that. So let's go ahead and get into uh, Attack of the Clones. And, and let, let's, let's start from bottom up. Uh, your fourth hollow take. Eric, I'll start with you. Um, my fourth hollow take, I will say, um, <laughs> I'm going to try to be a little different here, a little, a little than typical. And I'm going to say my fourth hollow take is... Um, on top, you know, on top of how everybody says Anakin is whiny and everything, um, Anakin is is uh, is not very smooth with the ladies. <laughs> he might think he is, but he is definitely not a smooth talker. He's not a smooth talker with anybody. He, True. He he's about as smooth as a snail on sandpaper. <laughs> he's about as smooth as sand in your shorts. Mm-hmm. He, the nice thing is, I don't know if they figured out on purpose to do it this way, but Hayden somehow takes. It does feel like that little kid on Tatooine still. Yeah. It's like you could take him away from Tatooine, but you couldn't take that slave mentality or just the way he looks at the world away from that. I, I think it's something that you have that's established by him being the age he is when he leaves. I think part of that, too, is just Hayden's personality and his acting method because he was the same way in Jumpers. Yeah. Here, here he is as a kid who is able to jump and leaves and leaves home um, to be on his own while during formative years of being in high school or middle school, high school, he's out living on his own and fend for himself. He's still, 
still very childish, thought-wise, mind-wise. Uh, I, I think that's just part of Hayden's persona because um, look at the way he looks now in pictures, and whatnot. I mean, I'm sure he's a great guy. Uh, I I have yet to. I did not get a chance to. He wasn't. At, I don't think he was at Celebration 2017. No, I think the last Celebration was last first time he'd ever gone to Celebration. Chicago. Yeah. Um. But I mean, a lot of the interviews and stuff I've seen with him, he's still very childlike. Um. So I think that's just part of his persona, which is fine. It works here. Then it also works in Attack of the, in uh, Revenge of the Sith, where you're, where you're seeing him seeing Anakin throwing more of that temper tantrum. I'm not getting my way. I don't want to leave and take my ball and go home. I still want to change everybody's mind. You know, he, he does it well. Um, you know, everyone wants to criticize, oh, he's a poor actor. Well, Jake Lloyd's not a poor actor either. You just got to look at the dialogue and Mark Hamill from the get-go is like, yeah, I remember exactly what line I read in for my audition. And I said, who talks like this? Well, apparently they do in Star Wars. So Yeah, George Lucas has never been um, touted as the greatest scriptwriter the world's ever seen. Oh, We've talked right. about this. That the Part of the problem that we I see always seen with the prequels is the fact that at the when he wrote the original trilogy, he had a lot of people um, or he had a lot of his friends and um, going over the scripts and helping him to doctor him up a little bit and punch up some of the dialogue and stuff. By the time he gets to the um, prequel trilogy, he's had honcho of everything and surrounded by everybody that's like, yes, George, whatever you want, we'll make it work. Yeah. No one, no one had the cojones to say, no, George, it's not work because they were afraid. Well, and, I don't and, know if that was his ego or it was just the fact that that's the way they saw it. it, it it's the way people were around know. him. It wasn't his ego because he, I don't think he's one to be told, who's afraid to be told, no, it's not going to work unless he. Or just, hey, this is a better way to do it exactly because he he listened to to hamill and and kushner when it came to the special editions about luke in the in the screen oh he's gonna yell no as when he falls <laughs> they both came up really you did that it doesn't work it's not the character what happened the next release it got removed mm -hmm. it's not there it hasn't been there since it wasn't there originally. It got added for the first special, first tweak and then got cut after every additional tweak since. Yeah, George is a fantastic storyteller. He's fantastic at getting the um, it to look as beautiful as possible. He needs a little help with like dialogue and some of that stuff. Right. And the care in the actual character yeah. interaction yeah. with other characters. Yeah, and he's not um, the best at directing actors either. Yeah. No. So Ken, you're fourth holotape. Let's start with just uh, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine. In the first movie, you see him working a little bit behind the scenes. You're introduced to the yes. characters, like I said. The second one truly shows how much how much of a master master manipulator this man is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That no matter everything, the entire everything was done on his will. Yep. And I mean, to the point where uh, he gets, if you want to go that this far into it, he actually sends, I, he probably knew for a fact, Padme would not, um, there was nobody in the Senate that would nominate him to get the um, get the emergency powers. But if he removes Padme, allows Jar Jar to be in there, Jar Jar is much easier to flip and get him in, to do that. Yeah. So and Jar Jar just happens to be in the room when he mentions, oh, well, if the Chancellor had the power on his own, he could do this. Right. Uh, for me, my fourth holotake is uh, the Death Star. Yes. We see the, Which is interesting. Well, go ahead. Well, we see this plans for this big battle station mm -hmm. pre-Clone Wars. I mean, you know, before the start of the Clone Wars. And it was originally something for the Trade Federation and the Separatists. Yeah, it was just, well. <laughs> what were it, they going to use it for? No, it was always, I, th I think Palpatine knew 100% this is where he's going is towards the empire. So he was building stuff for the separatists. He was building stuff yeah. in the Galactic Empire or the Galactic Republic, knowing at one point it's all going to be together anyway. He knew exactly where he was going. Yeah. But um, also, the interesting thing is we see the plans for the Death Star pre-project Stardust. Right. Because Stardust, when it was brought in in Rogue One, I don't know how far back er, Galen Erso and all those guys were involved in this. That looks like it was something that was done by, that they, was all done in the Republic yeah, military. They were definitely. the Imperial military. Yep. Right. But mm -hmm. Stardust is the cannon. Yeah, it's the super laser. But if you look at the plans for the Death Star, the dish for the super laser is on it still already. Right. So I, I, I always thought, okay, cool. They had this idea for this big giant super laser ship because that's what it is, battle station ship, yeah. whatever. Uh, but I don't think they knew how, what type of weapon it was going to be until, you know, Urso comes along and the whole, oh, let's, 
Right. And what we see during Clone Wars of, well, the Empire is now playing around with kyber crystals for weaponry. Right. Because it was being used for, by the Jedi for, for lightsabers. So what else can it be a power cell for? Yeah. And I think, I think that's when around that time period is when we saw Kylan or uh, Galen involved. And I think Galen may have tipped Saw Guerrero off during that time. Maybe that was during, that was during Rebels, right? Which part? The discovery of the Kyra crystals being used for weapons when we see Saul trying to destroy the. Yes. I think so. So yeah. who, 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 yeah, yes. for Rogue One, but, um, so yeah, who, who, had, who, because when we see Saw Guerrero originally, it's during the Clone Wars, he's just running a resistance group. Right. Who, who's to say there wasn't a tip that Kylan didn't, or Kylan, Galen <laughs> didn't give him a tip in some other means or through other means to, to saw that A starts to start going after these big shipments of kyber crystals because they're being used for no good. Yeah. Well, you so. could have figured that out anyway because if you just get news that the the Empire is looking for all this, you know it's not going to be for anything helpful. Right, right. So, so. Derek, your third holotake. Well, it's kind of similar to Ken's in that I just watching um, watching Palpatine's plans come together. That that's like my favorite part of the movie is is just watching, seeing how all of the pieces that Palpatine has put in place are falling exact. You know, right. to lead up to you know the whole thing with Jar Jar, the whole thing with the Clone War Army and everything. It's just, I just love it. I love that part of it. Yeah, your third. Uh, mine goes outside of the movie for the third for the third one, because um, something that was amazing that some a lot of people don't remember anymore is the fact that this was the first film ever shot completely digital. Yep. There was no film used in this movie at all. Oh yeah, right. And, it, um, right. and to the point where theaters across the country, a lot of them switched to digital projectors for this movie. Now they did do mm. a thirty-five millimeter print of this so the theaters that didn't have it could do it but the best way to see the movie was to find a digital theater near you right oh, it's the first time that had ever been done which included um digital editing which all of us do now on our cell phones right but until that point until they were filming this completely digitally they were still cutting and splicing film to edit films 20 years ago from now yep. that's how fast the technology has advanced to where now on a cell phone in our pocket we can do the same thing that they could not do without a splice table and special equipment before this time movie. Yep. Uh, so. For me, uh, still kind of ties in a little bit with Derek, um, with the creation of the clone army. And I'm going to go outside the movie briefly as well to tie in Dooku Jedi lost, but the whole thing about mm-hmm. um, Dooku and how he's the one really instrumental in, in starting the, the clone army. Yeah. And the whole, um, and, the, and then the whole planning and being, being the, it, just the Dooku character in general. Um, and being that one, when he makes the comments, when, when he has Obi-Wan captive, uh, basically alluding to while Dooku may be siding with the Federalists, uh, the Trade Federation and Separatists, he, he is more, I think that's almost where the seeds of the rebellion starts or the seeds where the thoughts of the rebellion starts more than, than anything else because he he's not truly working for Sidious. I mean, he answers to Sidious, but he's still doing his own thing. Yeah. Some. No, I'm thinking, I think even if you look at Jedi, Dooku Jedi Lost, I think he was working with Palpatine much farther back than anybody realizes. Yeah, I, I believe that. Palpatine is the one that had them start the clone army and everything else. Now, he may not have known Palpatine was a Sith Lord, but Palpatine was the one that started all that. That and the other thing with Dooku that you brought up here, for me, I think Dooku's character, especially the scene with Obi-Wan where he's being held in the straps, is the one of the few that um, realize it, these three movies in general make you realize, wait a minute, this, the weird thing about this, when they're writing Jedi and Sith in this, the Sith generally tell the truth. Right. And every time they tell the truth, people don't believe them because they're the Sith. They lie. Right. But when you look at the Jedi, the Jedi are holding the secrets and uh, um, hiding things in the shadows and not letting anybody know what's going on. Right. They're working a 
much cloudier angle. But you only got one Sith that, that's yeah. still thinking the same way as the Jedi. And that's Palpatine mm-hmm. because he's playing both sides and he has to do it in order to, to keep the roots. I would say there's only one true Sith in that in that movie because I don't think Dooku is a hundred percent given over to the. No, it's just this is another. Especially if you bring in Dooku Jedi Lost. Yeah, I agree. This is all just a way for him to get into power. He yes. doesn't care yeah. about Sith philosophies or anything else. He's all just straight power, which yeah. actually is a Sith philosophy, but that's not the way reason he's doing it. He's looking out for himself. Right. He's looking out for his planet. How does he keep his planet alive? I think um, in general, Palpatine is the final Sith because I would I would posit that Vader never fully embraced the the philosophies and the quote unquote religion of the Sith. It was a Jedi who took the Sith power. But once again, he was looking for the power to save Padme, the power to do that. He wasn't a fully subscriber to the Sith code and all uh, the oath and all that stuff. So you you think potentially the last true master apprentice in the Sith was Palpatine and Maul? Probably. I think Maul was 100%. He was bought in. Yes, definitely. But when Maul died, well, and then came back and then came Crazy Spider Leg and then Bionic Legs and then Crazy (laughs) Maul. (laughs) It's an interesting ride, people. If you can it's, to read Over the whole game. story of Darth Maul, it gets really good after he dies. <laughs> His life got <laughs> a lot more interesting. How many people can say that? Yeah. <laughs> After his death, his life got more interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. Uh, for me, my number. I, I think he truly would have tried to destroy his master and take that spot. Yeah. Uh, Derek, number two. Yeah. Number two. Um, I really uh, I really like a lot of the uh, weapons and equipment and clone army vehicles and such that they introduced in the movie. Um, there's some really interesting interesting things in there that, that's my number two as well and I'll, I'll add to it definitely i love uh a lot of the ralph mccrory um nods mm. to stuff from the yep. original trilogy that it's like okay this is how they got there with uh with the ships so as we as we see a little bit the uh the jedi starfighter that um that obi-wan uses mm-hmm. is kind of a little bit precursor to what eventually becomes the a-wing yeah it looks like that's that's the one thing yeah. that uh, i i'll use the vehicles and stuff as number two too that way we can just keep it going on this because this uh, in episode one they established everything they gave all this brand new and it's all new and pretty and cool but this one you actually start to see the influences of what will become the ships of the yes. rebellion of the empire the a-wing there right. when you get to the then especially mm-hmm. when you get into revenge of the sith you see the jedi starfighters um well you get the um in this one you don't get the arc 170s yet but you, once you get to like the arc 170 starfighters and stuff yeah. or the attack ships they start to have some of the features of like what x-wings will have the um the jedi starfighters lo- start to have um you can tell the design inspirations that later become TIE fighters. Well, and you also get that a little bit with the Sith infiltrator that Maul uses. Exactly. Right. So they put a lot of work in And um, Yeah. And while we are on the topic of vehicles and stuff, uh, I'd like to give a special shout out to um, the Slave One that we see in Attack of the Clones because we get to see all the cool features that it actually has. Yes. Um, such as the seismic charges and such. Yep. And the lasers can actually that hit something right effect. in front of it. <laughs> yes. Um, now, that sound effect. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Now, I'm going to – I posed this question on um, on Twitter today. Uh, I said, tonight we're going to be discussing Attack of Clones. What were your favorite memories of the film? And these are some of the responses I got. Uh from Camos Mills, so many, but the best was probably learning to my dismay that it had left the theater. And thus, I missed it only for my dad to pull it, pull up to Blockbuster and buy it for me on VHS. The first movie I personally owned. <laughs> nice. Uh, Jay Garma, uh, the trailer. Seen glimpses of Coruscant's nightlife. Jango Fett. Mm. The arena swarming with Geonosians. Obi-Wan held captive. Mm. The possibility blew me away. From Chantel. The memory that sticks in my mind most is my dad cracking cracking up when he saw Yoda fight. He only knew Yoda <laughs> as the old Muppet from Star Wars that sounded like Fozzie Bear. He is so not a nerd. Uh, from a, from a, per, a certain point askew, Amino was pretty dope. Uh, from Tizrod. 
the hype was real for Attack of the Clones. Uh, that, that was set off by the exposure to Celebration 2 in, in Indianapolis. I could not wait and just really pumped in the Star Wars fever to, and, and really pumped Star Wars fever to 11. Waited in line for like 12 hours for Attack of the Clones. Got our picture in the local paper. It was amazing. And then, uh, Friendly Neighborhood Row, uh, who is the owner of the Red 5 Network, uh, said the seismic charges. Enough said. And that's it. There we go. So, cool. um, how about number one? Number one for me is um, the end scene where you see Palpatine and um, um, uh, Brain Fire. Bail Organa. Dooku. Bail oh, Organa. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And everybody um, watching, watching the clones get on their ships and take off. Just the, 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 the massive amount of clones, just how huge it was, the music, everything. You know, it was the um, first appearance of the Imperial March in the yes, in the prequels. Yeah, seeing and very subtle that, how it changes over to that. Mm-hmm. Yes, that scene just oh, I love that scene. That scene gets me every time. That the the original Imperial cruisers; those aren't even Star Destroyers yet. Those are just straight to the Imperial cruiser, right? Uh, they they were what the Jedi Star Cruisers? I think that's what they called them. Yeah, so yeah. like that with the twin towers, and then twin on top towers. of that, um, when you see you see uh, when they show them everybody watching it, and you can see Palpatine, and he's all you can see excitement in him, and he's all you know, and then you see Bail Organa, and he's really worried and concerned, and yeah, yeah, I just love it. So the, the only one, the only one excited in space. He's the only one excited in on the whole balcony. Yeah. yeah. Well, you could see right. it on his face. Uh, no, I got something on that in a minute. But um, you can see on Palpatine's face that he's like, yep, all the planning and stuff he's done. It's all been a theory. Now I've won. Right. Yep. yep. This is all it this took. Now it. I have won. We just got to let it ride. Yep. He doesn't have to do this anything what else. I wanted. Automatically, this he's going to win. He, he knows mm-hmm. he's only got one more card to play, and he has to wait for that time to play it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But the other one I said on the balcony, he plays it in Masamita is always a background character in all this stuff. Oh. Oh, yeah, I don't think people realize, um, especially if you read some of the newer novels that um, happen after Return of the Jedi, like the um, the aftermath novels and stuff. That uh, Masamita, I believe, actually, I could t- from what it looks like, it's been insinuated he actually knew everything. He knew that yeah. Sidious was. He knew all of that, and he still stood by and said, "You know what? I'm hitching my pony, my um, saddle to this pony here because he's going all the way." Yeah. He knew the entire time. He knew he couldn't do it, but he saw a man that could and said, "I don't care how he does it. He's going to stay in charge." Right. That's I all didn't he even cared. realize that until until I read it in the books that he was. Still alive through the whole thing yeah he figured out how to be he just he was a very resourceful man Mm-hmm. Um, my number one, I'm going to go into a little bit um, back into that kind of goes with the, this was completely film digital. This was also at, up to this point, the most use of CG in any movie ever. It was something like 75 percent or I think or yeah. something like that. Of the filming was all blue right. screen, including at least I'd say probably 75 percent of all the characters you see on screen, because a lot of um, the Geonosian arena, you got thousands of Geonosians. You get characters right. like Dexter Jetster. Um, and they're yeah. using uh, some of the um, they're showing with computer. You could do what we used to only be able to do with animation, traditional animation, where you can have physical characters interacting convincingly, um, with, like hugging and stuff with digital characters. Even better than because Jar Jar was was the litmus test, and now they have the whole thing. And you have people digital all over the place. Right. And if, once we're done with all these, I got one somewhat negative on the digital side. Uh-huh. Uh, having ju- well, having just watched it, the only the only shots that don't work at all for me for and it's I think it's a straight color correct that went too strongly too dark with it was the shot the digital Tatooine shots when Anakin is flying the speeder bike and stuff like that. It looks <laughs> completely fake. The the color there's too much color. It's um it's showing the sunset which. I I understand, but it's like we've seen the tattooing sunsets before. What they're huh. showing with him, that just they went too far with it. I think now. On that note, another thing that bothered me in that regards was in the uh, excuse me in the uh, Genosian on Genosis, Geonosis when Anakin and Padme and Obi Wan are you know have to fight all the beasties and um, Anakin gets on one and starts riding it. That always I always notice that something about that part always I'm always like that does not look great. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, this is also this is one that um, actually all three of these could use a digital remaster almost, where they just go through and touch up some of the stuff, mm. almost like what they did yeah. for the special edition, but just update the um, graphics on some of it. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I think they could do that. It's um, not a bad we don't idea. Need to add scenes or anything. We don't need to add in the scenes where um, no C three PO gets his covering plates. <laughs> I forgot that those that that was part of the original story that they were going to find him still naked, and then uh, while they're on the farm there. Padme puts his plates and stuff on it, but those were in the. It was in the special features stuff and in some of the deleted scenes where she's actually putting plating on him. Yeah, but I, I can see all that. Yeah, um, just try and double check. We're on number ones, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My number one. Um, I gotta go back to uh, what was said in the Twitter tweet. Uh, the hype. I mean, yeah, Phantom Menace. Was it was blown up some because oh it was the return of Star Wars the hype for this one was so much more yeah I thought Phantom Menace was bigger for me maybe it was because of the fact that you know here I am at, at Walt Disney World at the time um, and everything maybe, else yeah. Star Tours it, it was just being hyped a lot more around here um, I was just really 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 big on the hype uh, it was right a, right around this time for sure I made sure this is yes I had been picking up Star Wars insider magazine prior to it was around attack of the clones that i start really getting into the fan club star wars hyperspace yeah and it was to get more inside information on the film uh that's that's where i got all the hype and, and this is where my mind went crazy when it came to collecting as well. It's like, oh, clone troopers. Okay, cool. We now got all this. Remember, this also, if I remember right, this was the first movie that started having like the web diaries and stuff. Yeah. But they actually had on the Star Wars website was running a series of um, mini documentaries once a week or yep. once a month yep. from the set of Attack of the Clones. Yeah, yeah. Back to fledgling internet that could barely run something like that. They were still, they were on the edge of doing it. Oh, yeah. Because remember, this is before um, YouTube didn't even exist yet right yeah very much so that's the one thing george lucas was always usually ahead of the curve on where the tech was technology was and he was usually pushing the curve on where it could be yeah he had it in his head where he wanted it to be and if the people he had couldn't do that he'd find the people that were willing to try to make it work mm-hmm. so yeah that, that was it for me the hype uh and then before we go we'll make sure we get the listener topic uh wookies well i'll say before we get to that real quick to want you to a final thought on attack of the clones real quick just a quickie sure i'll let i'll let you guys do it okay well for me going back and rewatching it it's still it didn't change the order for me but um even got it i always have to i reminded myself as i've said over and over on here that no matter what even though attack of clones is not my favorite star wars movie a bad star wars movie or even just a subpar for what i'm expecting is still better than 99 percent of the cinema out there i still had a fun time with this plenty of stuff to love in here and if you have to i just ignore the love side love story parts as my wife said it's like a um really bad <laughs> harlequin novel in the middle of a star wars story right and see and of course i'm the guy who says uh for me, it was less. I felt there was more love story or more focused around the love story in Revenge of the Sith than there was in Attack of the Clones. I still, I, still, I, I, I don't know what you're seeing that because you got to think every scene on Naboo was about the love story. Right. Yeah. There was no other reason to go to Naboo except for to put the two of them together. That and on Tatooine also was to further that love story. Right. Which which I'm okay with. Don't don't get me wrong. I just think there was more involved with Attack of the Clones with the whole with the love story not Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith but the love story was more was more I, I felt more the focus behind things to me well, yeah, was, to me the taking the love story out of Attack of the Clones would have kind of hurt Attack of the Clones though taking the love story out of Revenge of the Sith or cutting it in half would have made Revenge of the Sith a slightly better film there was a lot that wasn't necessary I don't know I'd, I'd have to disagree a little bit on that because without the love story too, I think. of Revenge of the Sith he has no reason to um, turn to the dark side. That's the thing. It's like, I don't want to take the love story out of Attack of the Clones. I think it could have been written a much better way. Uh, uh, written better. Yeah, right. It needed to be. I agree. It had to be in there. I just did not. I just personally did not like the way it was in there and the way it was written. Yeah, it could have been better. Could have been done better. So, but I know we got to get to this um, listener get question. Yep. We're getting ready to run out of time. <laughs> yep. So what we got? Yeah, Wookiees. What do we love about them? They're hairy. They're, they're like the, tall. Yeah. 
<laughs> They're kind of like um, if your best your family dog best friend could actually be your best friend. He can actually talk. He can walk. He can do all of that stuff. And and that, having your back too. Yeah, yeah. You don't. Who else would you rather have by your side in a fight? True. Seven foot tall dude that could actually literally, not just figuratively, could literally rip the arms off of your opponent. <laughs> And the interesting thing is, if you watch all of Star Wars, you see Chewbacca, and everybody loves how Chewbacca's big and strong, and he's so awesome. Then you see, um, and, and then you see in Solo, the um, ones that have been malnourished and stuff, Chewbacca looks huge compared to those guys. Yeah. Then you see someone right. like Santin, who's actually a Wookiee warrior. Remember, Chewbacca is a, a Wookiee, um, he's a pilot and a mechanic. Yeah. If you look at Chrysanthemum, who's actually a warrior, and you see the difference, and it's like, I'd love to see the two of them side by side in live action and see just the bulk yeah. size of Chrysanthemum compared to Chewbacca. Yeah. Because that dude was huge. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And then you got Lumpy and uh, <laughs> and Grumpy. Lumpy and his VR system. <laughs> the creepy VR system. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. uh, I, I've, always, yeah. I've always been fascinated with um, with Wookiees uh, ever since you know we see Chewie. And then when we get the, the Star Wars holiday special um, I mean, when when I first heard about Napster or whatever, uh, whatever the other peer to peers were at the time, and, and Torrance, the first thing I literally went looking for was the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> I mean, where else do you where else do you go and get thirty minutes of nothing but jury look? <laughs> See, that's why I'm happy I have a, a couple of good flea markets. I found a guy that was selling the DVD the bootleg DVDs. I will have it forever. I I have one that will and last forever as well. I, let's not also forget the uh, remember the fact that they have um, the Wookies have their own special culture. They're not just like weird alien creatures, you know. They they have right. a, they have a whole culture and and uh, the, well the whole code cool. whole code as well. Wookie mm-hmm. code. Mm-hmm. You know, think about it. I mean, look, you know, the life debt, you know, that right. is out there. I mean, we we see it with Han and Chewie. Uh, I'm sure we've heard about it with with other Wookies out there. I'm sure. Uh, I mean, the life debt's out there. So, man, I always thought it was fun back the old West End Star Wars game and most of the Star Wars role playing games. You actually could play a Wookie. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And it was always fun playing the game and trying to figure out how to get everybody else to understand what you're saying if they didn't mm-hmm. speak Shuri Wook. Yeah. So, uh, any final thoughts, guys? It's the 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones. If you've not seen it recently, give it a watch. Everybody's got Disney Plus already. There's a couple of good uh, documentaries on there on the special features. There's some deleted scenes, but they have a documentary on Previs and on how um, they how they use that in Attack of the Clones. And also, Mike, your um, sound effect documentary is on there. Yes, yes. And how they made the sounds of Attack nice. of the Clones. Yep. Yes, it is. Um, my final thought will be a little bit of uh, cross-promotion for myself, in which uh, on my other podcast, the New England Society of Geeks, I am bringing back my Star Wars chronological rewatch experiment, and um, I've already I re-released the first couple of episodes, which include Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and the first couple story arcs from um, the Clone Wars cartoon. So oh, very cool. check that out, and you can, you can hear some of my thoughts on all of that. Very cool. It's taking you a while to get through the Clone Wars. It is. It is. That crazy longevity in, in the uh, the rewatch. Yes. More content. Yes. Yeah. So, well. It'll be funny with people trying to listen to that because you go um, rapidly through a couple of movies. All of a sudden, you hit the slow because you got to go through a series. <laughs> and then you go really rapid through two or three more movies and slow it back yeah. down. You got to go through another series. Yeah. Yeah. Here's part 23 of the Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm just going to leave it with this. My final thought. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull up. No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. Oh, <laughs> I'm